listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 378. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, to discuss the classic military science fiction series, Stargate SG-1. And I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic, as I said in the intro. It is indeed, and I've never seen it except for Children of the Gods Parts 1 and 2 that we briefly podcasted on in 2016, I, I discovered. Yeah. And I went back to pull up my notes from, from that one. And um, so, so yeah, it, and, uh, I enjoyed it a lot back then. I enjoyed watching it again. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a reason it's a, it's a classic, right? There's a reason it had, like, what, 10 seasons? 10 seasons. And, you know, as we said last week, the uh, I think the, you know, the really driving point for doing this is that I've seen it, you haven't, but that said i've only seen each episode once except of course for the one we're doing tonight and it was eight years ago seven eight years ago so you know it's a a lot's fuzzy i i remembered squat from, (laughs) from this i went back and watched it it was like watching it for the first time well, cool. Well, I did see the picture uh, your wife posted. You guys got out and rocked the vote today, so that's great. And uh, We did. We ho- fulfilled our civic duty in the rain. Hopefully you did not fall for one of those fake drop boxes placed by the party who shall not be named. But that's a- Oh, we drop box? It was just some guy who was collecting them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to even follow up on that because... <laughs> No good will come of it. But uh, (laughs) anyway, if you guys want to contact us with some feedback, questions, whatever, the email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Record your own audio clip if you want, the way Fred does each week, and send it as an attachment. You can go to the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Um, All right. Now, in in what we're watching, there there is uh, an international crime show but i'm going to talk a little bit about that next week Uh, fox just debuted its latest genre offering called next are you familiar with that not even a little bit all right so it's just one episode has aired super intelligent ai gets loose wreaks havoc on mankind as it attempts to protect itself Okay. okay We kind of heard that before, as mm-hmm. my wife said, and I was really proud of her. Dude, Skynet. Nice. Like, all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're a keeper. Um, the dude that played Roger in Mad Men is one of the main characters. Oh. And, yeah, John Slarity. Oh, okay, good. Uh, you know, the acting is decent, but... By the end of the episode, there's a actually it's at the end of the episode, and for me, it's a deal breaker. And I'm probably not going to go on. I'm not going to say what it is. Um, I don't even want to hint at it. I, I think you might have the same feeling I had if you, you know, and uh, I'll maybe well, even tell you from, about it. From, from this conversation, I can tell you it's extremely unlikely that I'm going to pick this one up. So okay. So, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, it's a story we've certainly heard a bunch of times. AI goes crazy, you know, kills mankind to protect us. Okay, so, you know, we'll see where it's going. But 
I don't know if it's going to be for me. So what do you got this week? Um, well, again, uh, I haven't picked up anything new yet. Um, I'm looking at The Haunting of Bly Manor. I'm going to probably that will be my next uh, next show to, to take on. But um, The Boys had their season two finale on Friday night. And it was just as batshit crazy as every other episode of that show, which is why I love it so much. That show is insane. There's just stuff going on. And I I, I was reading uh, a review of it uh, today. Luckily, I had watched the final episode before I went to read any reviews because this one art, I can't remember what pub, I should have remembered the publication to call them out. But the, the biggest reveal in the freaking episode, these clowns put in the title. So even if you're just mildly scrolling, you type the boys and you're just scrolling, you're very likely to hit on like this huge, huge reveal that I would have been super upset if I if that had happened to me. I would have been super pissed. Yeah. Because it it was massive. So yeah. that just you know, there's just no excuse for that really in, in today's day and age that to to do something like that. That's just a complete dick move in my opinion. But anyway, but it was it was awesome. The show is is, is so good. Eric Kripke is one of my favorite absolute writer showrunners. Uh the guy's a freaking genius. And um, you know the, the the show is, I I, I can't remember the, the 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 adjective that went to it or adverb that went to it, but it, it's like you know proudly misanthropic, you know, <laughs> like it just it, it's like playing a game of of cards against humanity every single week, you know, just like all the messed up things that happen. I love and it. It's great. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, well, let's get to some Stargate SG-1, Children of the Gods, Part 1. Now, when we talked about Stargate SG-1 back in 2016, as you mentioned earlier, we covered Parts 1 and Part 2 because they did air together, and there's not really a definitive break point. But like we said last week, we're not really up for covering double episodes uh, you know, on the podcast, so... You know, we found a natural break, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. Written by Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright, and they are also the co-creators of SG-1. And, of course, we know Brad Wright as the creative mind behind Travelers. Uh, directed by Mario as a party, and this one aired July 27th, 1997 on Showtime. Holy crap. I know. Remember so he- 97. So we're talking 23 years ago. Oh, my God. And That's you, unbelievable. Yeah, and over the course of the podcast, you and I have talked about production values and how younger audiences react to lack of production values, if you will. And, you know, I think Stargate holds up. I mean, there are sure. certainly things here and there that, that are dated. They didn't have the special effects capabilities that... that showrunners have now but you know that said i i think they've done a pretty good job it, it lasted 10 seasons and interestingly seasons one through five were on showtime and then for six through ten it moved to sci-fi so i don't really remember what the actual deal was why it moved but 
you know, maybe at some point I'll look that it up. That was back when, before sci-fi, just would pick up a show and just cancel it the next yeah, day. Yeah, no kidding. Um, obviously, based on the 1994 Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin film starring Kurt Russell as Jack O'Neill and James Spader as Daniel Jackson, and of course, we know Dean Devlin from The Librarians. Sure. You know, it did pretty well. It made $200 million on a $55 million budget. So, you know, that's, that certainly was pretty good. Uh, especially but, in 94 dollars. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, you know, just a couple of points I want to make at the beginning that I, I really are not spoilery. They're really things that the listeners and you can, can kind of keep your eye on as we move forward. Now, number one, there aren't many actors that are recognized for playing what I think are really iconic characters and Richard Dean Anderson as MacGyver and Jack O'Neill. I mean, for crying out loud, as you said, it lasted yeah. 10 seasons, 214 he's, episodes. He's got, he's got two iconic roles. Right. Amanda Tapping as Captain Sam Carter. You know, you, you could argue less so Dr. Helen Magnus in Sanctuary, but, you know, still, we'll, we'll give her her break. And then the other thing, Michael Shanks as dr daniel jackson and while he's certainly not an iconic actor in terms of you know playing an iconic character rather he is married to lexa doig so he's got right. that going for him no, aka the man dave would trade places with in a heartbeat in a heartbeat <laughs> yeah um but one of the themes that that we should all keep our eye on as we move through the series is this whole idea of the scientist versus the soldier which we can also look at in terms of intellect versus emotion. And I, I think already we know who represents each and, and particularly. Do we? I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we do learn that Jack has some issues with Daniel from the previous mission. Eh, but, you know, I think we could argue that Jackson's actions in the movie clearly, you know, point out that, that Jack's, concerns are, are maybe valid but then we could argue that maybe some things jack does would uh you know maybe cause us to look at him as a hypocrite but the other thing is of course the role of the female and in 2020 it seems almost silly to to make a big deal about strong female characters because we've got a boatload of them and right. as it should be and it's just not a big deal anymore, I don't think. In 1997, it was kind of a big deal. And, you know, Fred points out in his feedback about her character and, you know, the little, I guess, almost sniping going on between her and Jack that she's trying to clearly prove herself among the men. And I think you have to remember that it's not only proving herself as a woman with the men, it's in the military. Right. And that's an entirely different world. So that'll be something I think that's fascinating to watch as uh, Captain Dr. Samantha Carter, uh, you know, makes her way on the SG-1 team. So uh, what were some of your first reactions? I mean, again, you've seen this episode before, but as you said, you didn't remember a lot. Right, I remembered very little, and then I I wished I'd watched the movie, and then I was gonna watch the movie, but then I saw for some reason you can get all of 
the Stargate TV episodes on Amazon, but not so much the movie. Really? So um, I might still go. I'll probably, within the next couple of days, I think I'll still go back and watch the movie, though, just because, just to remember what the heck happened in the movie. It's been, I haven't seen the movie probably since 1994. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of remembering there. But my first reaction is that for as old as this show is, it holds up really well. Like you were talking about the production values. I think the production values are are excellent. I think, are they quite as good as what we would see today? Well, maybe not, but it's, I think it's, they're good enough that, uh, you know, younger kids can watch it and not be like, oh, this is stupid. Especially like when the, you know, when the, the gate opens and like that bubble pops out, you know, I mean, that's like really, that's pretty good stuff. I think I would imagine in 97, that would be pretty impressive, you know, special effects. Yeah, you wonder if they created it a couple of times and just simply reused that sequence over oh. and over again just to avoid having to spend the money each time. They but, absolutely did. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, as you're alluding, it doesn't detract from the storyline, the the special effects that is, and, and the uh, production values. So, you know, it takes place in Cheyenne Mountain Complex, which is a real thing. Although I don't think they have the Stargate house there. Although you never know what you they've got. You, they could very, this could all be nonfiction for all we know. Right. But we see these five soldiers playing cards in the gate room. The Stargate's covered. And, and of course, having seen the movie, we know what that is. It's presumably been out of operation for a while. And it's the lone female soldier that notices something hinky going on with it and again fred points out that well why didn't they just immediately call their supervisor and i guess what strikes me they're not supposed to be down there right right because she says you know should we be doing this ah nobody ever comes down here which sort of implies they're not supposed to be there either right so you know once the cover falls off the you know the stargate becomes active the alien soldiers come through i mean they do what good soldiers should do which which is of course you know get in position to to fight back but i i love this whole egyptian connection which again if you've seen the movie you know the backstory and if you haven't seen the movie then i'll i'll try to spoil as little of it as possible but but for instance you know you know the big reveal in the movie is that okay there's some kind of connection between the pyramids and and things in egypt and aliens which of course has been speculated on sure um, the history channel for the last 10 years that guy with the wild hair that uh, I forget what his name is. I always tell my wife, that's how I want my hair. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I also find it interesting, and it, it sort of sets the tone, I think, that when stuff starts happening and the room starts shaking, it's the female soldier that advances to check it out, shows no fear, and you might argue, well, that was kind of stupid. No, I, yeah. I mean, they're soldiers. They're supposed to be doing this i mean she, I, I, I just feel like she showed more curiosity than intelligence there maybe okay okay but <clears throat> but again something's not right 
And I guess you could argue maybe they should lay back and check it out before, you know. But you also wonder. I'm just thinking that they know it's a gate, right? They know the stuff has come through it before. Well, do they? So when it starts out, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. You know, they're fairly low. They're pretty low on the totem. Right, right. Uh, I just, I guess, I just assume that they're if they're in this complex that they're they're there to guard this thing, right? Well, again, we don't know. You know, they're down there apparently to play cards and you know not do what they're supposed to be doing, right? Out of sight of you know that that's where that's where I think maybe I, I might I, I agree with you on your version of it because I assumed that they were down there to like guard that thing. But it makes a lot more sense with you're saying is that the gate is down there and no one really knows what it is. And these soldiers just come down there to play cards because they know no one goes there and they won't get caught. Right. That and makes a lot more sense than them skiving off on guard duty there. Yeah. And, you know, once these soldiers in Egyptian looking headpieces come through, we get the firefight and... Again, I've said I'm not a big fan of extended fight scenes, so this was about the perfect length of time. They had some cool weapons for sure. Eventually, some get killed on both sides, and they take the female hostage back through the gate. So, you know, now, of course, we're we're left with obviously the powers that be are going to find out what the hell happened down in the gate room and learn that one of theirs has been taken. So... How do we do that? Well, we bring Colonel Jack O'Neill out of retirement, and right when snake know, guys come through a portal, you got you got to get MacGyver on the case. Exactly, and <laughs> y- you know it, it's I'm a huge fan of shows making reference to actors' prior shows, like in Castle. Every time they made a Firefly reference, and and they did it, they did it at least once a season. It's yeah. like, yes, fire, you know. So uh, <laughs> uh, the best one was when he dressed up as a spaceship captain for Halloween. Yes. And of course, it was his uh, <laughs> Malcolm Reynolds outfit. But right. we're not really introduced to too many characters in this episode. Obviously, Jack O'Neill, uh, Samantha Carter, Daniel Jackson, and General Hammond is really the fourth character that we're really introduced here, played by Don S. Davis. And he sent this major, I think, or whatever, to retrieve Jack O'Neill, who's retired. And you just love it. He's up on his roof with his telescope. And we talk all the time about symbolism. I mean, what would you take away from the fact that he's up there stargazing? Well, I mean, you know, he mentions later how, you know, if the, you know, like if, if Ra was going to, invade it wouldn't be through this little tiny portal that they've got these huge ships and that that's probably what they would use so in retrospect looking like you know he could be there on watch you know just looking scanning the stars to see you know for future possible invasions okay i I love that interpretation as well and i guess i also look at it as he's not done with his desire to explore and and really make a difference, which then begs the question: Well, then why retire? Did he yeah, retire? Actually, if that, that that makes a lot more sense, because I realized as soon as I said it that what I said is scanning the skies. 
is completely ludicrous. Well, yeah, but it isn't though. When you think yeah, well, about it, I mean, well, look. From I mean, a, like, what, is, is he going to scan the, the whole sky every single night? He's, he's still missing half the Earth. You, like, well, yeah. From say. a practical so. standpoint, I agree with you, but I but I think he probably can't help but think about that as he's scanning the sky. So I think you look at it all together. Right. Okay. And it then goes back to the question, why retire? Well, was it because of a mission that went bad? Is that what led him to retire? We do learn in this episode that his son died. We don't know under what circumstances. So, you know, did that have anything to do with it? Certainly possible. I mean, did that, we, that's... Did we learn his son died? Yeah, I th- yeah. I talk, we, he's talking to uh, the two guys that he was on the mission with. Towards right, the end, he, of, he just said how like the kid Scara or whatever saluted him like his son used to, which right. And then he says, "Like I didn't know you had a son." Well, maybe I just spoiled it, but yeah, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so you know the 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 poor major. Uh, obviously, Jack O'Neill has a lot of the same personality ca- characteristics that MacGyver had, uh, which I, I think is also wonderful, but he agrees to go back once he hears about what happened and that the Stargate became active again and just showing O'Neill the dead bodies. We learn that Abydos was populated by humans who were brought there by the alien Ra. And then that takes us back to the movie and you know, the, the whole, story of the mission that went bad and at this point everybody's operating under the assumption that the stargate only goes between earth and this planet abydos and these aliens from abydos came to earth you know told the humans how to build pyramids etc etc but obviously in this episode we learn that maybe that's not the case after all maybe the stargate can go other places maybe there are more gates out there so you know that that's a pretty cool reveal in this episode so they they lay a lot out there as we've said many times any any good pilot uh, has, has to do we learn about the last mission and i've mentioned before i'm i'm a big fan of following orders unless there's really a compelling reason not to follow orders. It's hard to argue with O'Neill's decision to not nuke the planet. You know? Right. And that would seem one of those cases where you're completely justified in not following the orders because following it would cause genocide. Yeah. It would have led to the death of millions of innocents. Right. And he does seem to have found the perfect solution, right? I mean, he was supposed to detonate the nuke to permanently close the Stargate on Abydos, which would obviously close the connection to Earth. But Ra's ship is, you know, in orbit or hovering above or whatever. So he makes the decision to use the nuke to do that. And, you know, again, it's hard to argue with that reasoning but again that whole assumption well we nuked his ship of course he's dead yeah well 
Go ahead. Uh, One of us has to say it. Dead, he was only yeah. mostly dead. He's, he's only mostly dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, like, if, if, dude, you're on a TV show now, so you know, the rules of, of, of death are thrown right out the, the window. Yeah. When is dead dead? Uh, I'll have to look up the date of that uh, take five that I did, gosh, probably in 2013 or 14, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's a brief one. When is dead dead? You can search for it on the website. But we also learn that Daniel Jackson didn't come home on that mission. And it wasn't because he was dead. It's because he decided to stay there. And again, throughout this episode, we're not exactly sure what has happened. He's presumed to be alive. And I love I love the general's approach to getting Jack to agree to do what he wants. Okay, well, I'll just send the the nuke through the gate and we'll just, you know, yeah. level the whole place. Well, you can't do that, general. Of course I can. I'm a general. <laughs> and yeah, and and you know, of course we're a, a little bit um you know, obviously there's a slight antagonism there <clears throat> between uh General Hammond and Jack. But in the end we see that he is, you know, just basically manipulating jack so that he will go back through because he's exactly the guy he needs for this mission right and we certainly get the sense that colonel jack o'neill is not a fan of the power structure even though he's risen to the rank of colonel which is that's pretty high up there exactly i think i can't remember now i think he's a full bird so he's you know one you know, next step for him is his first star. So, you know, he's risen up there. But still, having said that, we get the idea that he's always been the rebel. And I guess one of those guys that, you know, it's funny. I had a job back in college working for Rouse Company, which if you're from the Maryland area, you know, basically built Columbia. And we were what was called the special projects crew. Dude, you can't even imagine the stuff they let us do during the day because they would call us at 3 a.m. You know, you got to come in and do this. this something happened. You know, so we would just clean up all their messes and then they just like look the other way when we did all our dumbass 21 year old stuff. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's almost like Jack O'Neill maybe is that he breaks rules, but he gets results. Right. right. And it's going to be hard for him at this point to explain you know what the results are you know, by you know for for not following through on the orders but he offers to take a team through the gate dude you got to love the test that he does first to make sure what's on the other side oh with the Kleenex box oh yeah with the Kleenex yeah. box and of course just watching general hammond like what the hell right <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was good and you know it's clever right too of course, once it comes back, thanks, send more. He's now tasked to take a team through to find out what's on the other side. Now, the other thing that that if you haven't seen the movie, I don't think it's a big spoiler, but with the gate, seven chevrons have to be encoded in a precise order on the gate for it to work. So when you see it rotating and, and you know, the one chevron will lock in, there, there's got to be seven of them. 
And in the movie, I think that was the big sticking point. They they couldn't figure out the seventh, or maybe they didn't even know it was seven. I, I forget what it is now, but uh, I guess it's Daniel Jackson, played by James Spader, in the movie that finally figures that out. But uh, Yeah, I think I'm really going to have to go back and watch the movie. Yeah, it's been a while for me, too. Although it is one of those movies I've seen probably three or four times throughout the years. So then we get that meeting where everybody's in uniform and they're they're laying out the mission. O'Neill meets his team. Of course, he's not too keen on taking someone he doesn't know, which is Samantha Carter. And you know, we certainly get the sense it's not that he doesn't know her; it's that, as she says, her reproductive organs are on the inside. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and, and there there are there's some misogynism misogyny sorry going on here that would probably not be okay in a you know a a 2020 version of of stargate um because it does seem and he he claims it's not the case but we do get a feeling that part of his problem with sam carter is obviously he's very much against scientists yes and brainiacs or geeks as he calls daniel but uh, also, you know, I think the fact also that she's a woman seems to uh, chafe him as well. Right. And he also points out that it, despite his disdain for scientists, as you mentioned, he'll cut Daniel Jackson some slack because he saved my life, which right. you haven't done yet. But she's got multiple levels to overcome uh, if she's going to continue working with Colonel Jack O'Neill. And, and again, I, I, I love it right away. He, he says, it's not so much that uh, I don't know you. I just don't like scientists. She says, I'm not a scientist. I'm a theoretical astrophysicist. And that means that she's smarter than you, the general says. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, again, that kind of lays the groundwork for the conflicts that these two are going to have to get past. She's an expert on the gate, but like so many experts, they really don't have any practical experience. And she mentions that she should have gone through the gate the first time. And we can only presume, based on what we've seen here, is that the reason she didn't go through before is because she's a woman. And we understand her and, and, you know, her desire to go through and her desire to prove herself again, like you said, that wouldn't fly in 2020. Hell, it wouldn't have flown in 2010, probably. But you know, this is 97, and um, you know, I, I think it does set up some really fascinating storylines and you know, character development and, and the interpersonal relationships that we'll see develop throughout the series. But uh, you know, the dilemma is what to do about the Stargate because if they bury it, then that pretty much closes off the connection between earth and Abydos. And of course in the movie and hell I'm spoiling the whole damn movie at this point, but I mean, you know, in the movie, that's how all this gets started. Some Egyptian archeologist uncovers the buried Stargate and of course, we come to learn well the reason they buried it is because they want to keep Ra and his minions away from the human race but you know well, we don't want to blow but, it up. Go yeah, ahead. Well, I'll just say it as 
really to alleviate the Earthlings' concerns about the Stargate is that it seems like a really, really shit method of invasion by marching through a 15-inch diameter you know, gate. Like, there's only so many people can come through at one time. So, you know, and there's only, like, one of them. So it's, it doesn't seem like a really viable invasion strategy to come in through the Stargate. Right, you know? and I think O'Neill points that out to General Hammond when he mentions the ship that you mentioned earlier in the podcast, that if they invade Earth, it's not going to be through the damn gate. It's going to be from above. We're, yeah. we're going to see them coming this time. Yeah, if they got technology to make this stupid gate, like, obviously they have the technology to, to be able to drive a ship here or something, you know? Right. And the other thing that gets established in this episode is that Richard Dean uh, Richard Dean Anderson's character, Jack O'Neill, is going to get the bulk of the witty dialogue in this series. And as I, I, again, as I love the, the teams going through the gate, and Carter's just sitting there marveling at it, uh, and he just like shoves her through. Yeah, oh, uh, classic. So right. Well, you can see that you know that there is obviously they're deriving a lot of humor from that. I guess that head versus heart. I think you described it yeah. at the beginning of the show. Conflict where the 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 soldier who just says, "Tell me in plain terms." Versus the scientist, who, and she, of course, when she meets Jackson, um, those two immediately are kindred spirits who will sit there and and, and actually in, in those scenes where they're they're talking and talking through the science of it, most of the viewers are probably with Jackson, just saying, "Shut up! What's what are you trying to say in regular person language?" You know. Yeah, yeah, and and right before they leave. General Hammond pretty much states it plainly. Try to follow orders this time. Bring Daniel Jackson back. And <laughs> once they go through the gate, they're met by these armed men. But, of course, it's it's Daniel Jackson, Scara, and, and we learn that Daniel has a woman. And now we know why Daniel stayed behind. Yeah, that's why he Woo! stayed, exactly. Dude, really. Um, <laughs> but, again, I think the other thing that I, I love in this episode is is Carter's just like you know a little kid in a candy store when she sees the gate and the gate's active. She goes through the gate and she's amazed. She sees the control system. She's amazed. And now she knows how it was controlled that she didn't know before. And apparently the original control system was missing at the gate they found at Giza, which, you know, of course is from the movie. It took us 15 years and three supercomputers to MacGyver a system for the gate on Earth. <laughs> right there away. There it is. There it is. <laughs> you got to love it. Yeah. Um, Daniel, you just mentioned a minute ago, once uh, Carter meets Jackson, you know, the, the two geeks together geeking out on each other, and she introduces herself as doctor. I thought you wanted to be called Captain. Right. Tells her. So then, of course, Jackson starts calling her Captain Doctor, which, again, perfect. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. That's part of the, the, the obviously, the, the still the lasting appeal of the show is that it, it's, all, it's not a comedy, but there's a lot of levity in it. Yeah. 
and, and that light touch is established at the dinner that night when Jack Scara offers Jack's lighter back, but he tells him it's his. And uh, you know, I don't know if there's any symbolism there, but when Scara asks him to drink uh, moonshine uh, again, pretty pretty funny scene. Yeah, uh, you know, Daniel, what are you teaching these children? Well, yeah, you know what's going to happen because, you know, he, he kind of sniffs it. It's some kind of liquor. You know when he tries, it's just going to spit it out and be like, you know. And then right. someone even says smooth. Oh, he says smooth, very smooth. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, it's kind of a little, a little cliche, maybe a little bit, but funny nonetheless. Yeah. But the big reveal in this scene and, and maybe even the biggest reveal in the episode is the dispelling of the misapprehension that there are only two gates earth and abydos daniel tells jackson no found a room that's got a directory of other stargate coordinates which then tells us well the aliens could have come from anywhere so the assumption that ra came from abydos is not necessarily true so kind of sets us up for part two of this episode but it also then starts raising that question that that again if you're a fan of those kind of shows on the history channel as i am okay who who really built the pyramids in egypt same people that built the pyramids on abydos because again that's the big reveal in the movie when when they walk out of what turns out to be this ginormous pyramid with these two obelisks that look like the washington monument and I'm like, oh, okay, we've seen this before, except we saw it on Earth. Right. So, you know, as we said, we learned that the reason the ancients buried the gate oh, 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 on... Oh, I just, can I say it real quick? Just for... Go ahead. Um, also, the, the, the setup with, you know, a, a, a huge room that has, a, you know, thousands of stargates, I mean, that actually, that, that sets you up nicely for a long series, right? Because it gives you then pretty much unlimited material and conflict to, to, to feed on. Right. Right. And, you know, as Daniel is showing O'Neill what he's found and, you know, basically it's almost like a phone directory ET phone home. And, and, you know, it's, it's the dialing combinations to go different places of course, Daniel hasn't actually tried it out yet, but that's what he he speculates. The Stargate activates those same helmeted soldiers, or at least they look the same, come through, start wreaking havoc, take Daniel's wife and Scara, key in co- new coordinates and, and leave through the gates. And of course, Daniel orders the gate buried. And, and the last scene that we'll talk about for what we're calling part one here, it, it, we see Cherie and Scara with other humans that are apparently being held by Ra. And that's kind of where we end. So we pretty much know there's going to be a rescue mission here, how it's going to work out. Of course, we, we don't know at this point, but you know, I guess what I love about the film and, and the series is the implication that the human race's development has been aided by alien intervention. And, Mm-hmm. Look, are there any of a number of shows on the History Channel and other channels that explore that possibility? And and 
a lot of these guys are pretty kooky when it comes to some of their <laughs> to uh, say the least yeah some of their theories but you know there there's a lot of things here on earth that it's almost difficult to explain them any other way for the purposes of the show it, it's pretty clear that aliens played some role in right. the building of the pyramids but now what does Ra plan to do is he going to invade earth um is his race of aliens the same ones that found its way to earth in the past i mean you know i mean if Ra's alien race is out there who's to say there aren't others and sure. and and again you know how is the relationship between jack and sam going to unfold which i th- i think is i think one of the most promising story developments uh, that comes out of this first part yeah anyway obviously yeah that, that's a really a, a, already they've established that as a very dynamic relationship between those two so again yeah, you know a lot of you know there's like the friction and the, you know all this stuff going on there so Right, and of course, Daniel Jackson is there almost as a buffer because, like Sam, he's a scientist, but unlike Sam, he's got history with Jack. And even though Jack's not fond of scientists, Daniel Jackson has proven his mettle to Jack. And whatever their differences, Sam's got a way to go before Jack's going to hold her in the same regard that he holds Daniel Jackson. So while he'll tease Jackson to death, uh, I think we, we learn early on, he does respect him. So, you know, at this point we'll see what, what else you want to bring up that maybe we haven't talked about. It seems like these Egyptian guys have a, a penchant for uh, capturing hot chicks. Yeah. No question. Um, and then, you know, they, they kill the one girl. I guess they kill the one soldier just because the little the little worm didn't take to her. Right. So, and, you right. Know, and, and the little Right. The little worm will be kind of important as we move forward. Well, yeah. I mean, I assume it I would know. be. You know, yeah. something, their stomach opens up and something comes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't right. take that lightly. Yeah. Um, I like how when the guy comes to to get O'Neill from his house, he tells him to get re-assed to NASA. I, I know he means you know reassigned, All right. but All right. I don't know if they say if reassed is an actual saying. Yeah. I've never heard it before. I mean, there's a good reason why, but you know, but yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed it very very much. Okay, cool. Um, so. I thought it was uh, it's it's really good. Uh, you know, one thing we always kind of point to because you know we we've done a lot of first episodes, right? Um, sure. So we've kind of have like a little checklist of things you need to get accomplished, and then of course they have some advantage in that they are based on a popular movie that would have just been out three years previously when the, the show came out. Uh, so they just kind of assume that. A lot of their audience has seen the movie um, or has at least gone out and rented the VHS tape uh, before it came out or something like that. Nice. So a lot of that world building, they don't really necessarily have to do because it's kind of been done for them. They do need to do because even though these are characters from the movie, there's new actors playing them. So they do have to recharacterize O'Neill and Jackson 
and and all these guys and um we do have to get to know them again and see them as and, and start to accept them for who they are which probably was a little difficult at the time to get people to buy into Richard Dean Anderson rather than Kurt Russell and uh Michael Shanks rather than James Spader. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing is that I like them all. And that doesn't often happen in shows that uh you know originate from a movie. And I, I look, on the one hand I would say, "Oh, I like Richard Dean Anderson a lot better than Kurt Russell," but that's probably not fair because I've seen 200 episodes with Richard Dean Anderson and, and just the movie with Kurt Russell. And I loved Kurt right. Russell in that movie sure. and the same with James Spader. Uh, yep. So uh, again, I think that's a testament to the writing, to the actors on you know both the film and the show. But, but yeah, it's, that's uh, again, something that's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Uh, Let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Stargate SG-1, Season 1, Episode 1. But let's first go back to last week's podcast about Hemlock Grove. You had several questions and remarks, which I want to react to. You know, I I guess the one story that that really kind of compelled me to invest in this episode is the one where we've got the animal predator expert who's brought into the investigation played by candace mcclure fred seemed to imply in his feedback this is the first time he's encountered candace mcclure well then he hasn't seen Battlestar and i'm thinking then, right? yeah I, dude fred what the hell <laughs> maybe he hasn't that, seen it well i understand that but you just don't you, you understand doing? it but you don't understand it yeah but uh, <laughs> I have seen Battlestar Galactica when I was in my teens or early 20s, but only the 1978-1980 series with Lauren Green as Commander Adama, but I never seen anything further on, although it's still somewhere quite down on my watch list. But now knowing Candice McClure, perhaps Battlestar Galactica shifts up a few positions on my watch list. Fred mentions Roman's mother as being a pivotal character in the show. And and I know he hasn't gone on either. I don't think he's seen beyond episode three. Maybe he's seen four. And, I, you know, Fred will correct me if I'm wrong. I have seen up to episode six. Otherwise, I wouldn't be so enthusiastic about this series just by a pilot or the first two episodes. But I'm still not watching further on in the little hope that you will do the series anyhow sometime. And the next thing Wayne said gives me a little hope. I think I've watched the whole thing. I feel like maybe when each season came out, I went and rewatched the previous season. So I've probably seen like season one, like three times and season two twice. I think maybe I've only seen season three the one time. Um, so it, it, I'll, it is a show. And maybe I think every year when we do this, I think, is it time for a Hemlock Grove rewatch? Because this really is a really, really, really good show. Okay, let's go into Stargate SG-1. Never seen that series. I know it existed, and I know in a lot of podcasts people refer to this series, but I've never seen it. And since it has 213 episodes and 10 seasons, there must be something about it. 
the opening scene gave me a kind of cheesy feeling and having an idea that this is a 1980s series. This female guard walks towards the ring. I think you wouldn't do that. I think you just would call your commander. Just a kind of trope to make the opening tensionful, but for me it had the adverse effect. Then we get Amanda Tapping playing the role of Major Samantha Carter, which I know from Travelers as Dr. Perro. For you it was probably the other way around. You knew her from this, for instance, and then saw her back in Travelers. But I looked at her IMDb and she actually played a lot of doctors, scientists, etc. In Killjoyce she was a doctor and in Motive, a TV series, she was a doctor. In Sanctuary she was a doctor and it goes on and on. In Millennium she was a doctor. Booty Call, a movie, she was a doctor. And even in the 1995 series, she played one episode as a doctor. So, I think she's a little bit typecast. Perhaps that's the reason why she switched to being a director instead of an actress. I was amazed seeing some of it. For instance, uh, an episode of Batwoman, an episode of The 100, an episode of Blindspot. Several episodes of Travelers X Company. In X Company, Evelyn Brochu is in that, and Evelyn Brochu is, of course, Delphine, the girlfriend of Cosima in Orphan Black. And Evelyn Brochu has a major role in X Company. Also, Van Helsing, Dark Matter, The Magicians, and wow, even three episodes of Continuum. And I'm mentioning here just the things I watched or I was interested in. But, of course, you already knew her track record. I find her role as Captain Samantha Carter a little bit a woman who has to prove to be an equal to a man instead of just a strong woman. I really wonder how this will change in the next 10 years of this role, because I saw on IMDb that she is in 211 episodes of the 213 If you look at strong women roles in series that are made today, it's quite different. It's just a strong woman instead of a strong woman that proves to be an equal in a man's world. And that feeling I have a little bit here. I don't have a lot of other feedback yet. I really have to get used to this series and probably after episode 2 or 3 I can say more about that. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Actually, I found the opening of Stargate SG-1 as a series quite strange. Those military playing cards there with the Stargate in the background. Where the heck does a Stargate come from suddenly? Of course, it's explained later, but you really have to watch the movie ahead and then the start of the series is not so strange anymore. They did a nice job, by the way, in the typecasting of the actors from the movie to the series. None of them is actually the same apart from Alexis Cruz who plays Skara in the movie as well as in the series. Especially nice is the transition of Dr. Daniel Jackson played by James Spader in the movie and played by Michael Shanks who plays it in the series. This Michael Shanks, by the way, meets later his wife Lexa Doy in the Gene Roddenberry series Andromeda. And when you look it up, she also will appear in the later seasons of Stargate SG-1. 
I liked the movie and this was an extra addition to my feedback. Greets, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, obviously, as usually happens, we talked about some of what Fred mentions in his feedback, but uh, I, I do want to address when he, he mentions about Amanda Tapping playing a lot of doctors in different shows that she's been in, and, and, and that's true. And the interesting thing, I noticed the same thing about Lexa Doig, and Michael and I had the chance to interview her back when we were doing Continuum, and I asked her about that, and, and she laughed and, and said, yeah, I know. I said, well, what do you attribute that to? She said, well, I'm really good at memorizing complex words. And it seems like a lot of these doctor roles require that. Oh, so, yeah. so I don't know if as an actor you establish yourself for, <laughs> I, I don't know, but yeah, even in Continuum, she was a, a medical doctor, although sort of evil, but right. still hot. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. still a doctor. Yep. So other than that, you know, I, I think we talked about the, you know, his mentioning about her having to prove herself in a man's world. And, I, and, and again, I, I think we, we have to consider that it's not only a man's world, it's the military world. And, you know, I, I mentioned that Stargate SG-1 is military science fiction. And that's, I, I guess, a subgenre of, of sci-fi. And, you know, there's not a lot of it out there. I mean, I guess to a large degree, Battlestar Galactica would be considered military science fiction. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, you know, beyond those two, yeah, I, I'm not sure what else. I, I mean, I'm sure there's something we've seen that is just escaping uh, my memory. Star maybe. Wars movies, maybe? Um, Star Trek, even to some degree? Yeah. But not really. Yeah, I mean, they're not really. Starfleet, I mean, it is military, but it's not, sort of. It, it's almost like by the time Starfleet is in existence, they've transcended the traditional military as we know it but on the other hand they haven't so anyway um you know they're they're out there exploring space so you know we'll see what happens on stargate sg1 what do you want to give it for a grade let's yeah i, I don't want to start too high so let's give it a, a, a you know i'm, I'm looking at a minus b plus i don't want to overgrade the first episode okay um but when you think about it again um Especially with, you know, as, as we had just said, the particular challenges that they had here of adapting something that people would already know with different actors and everything, and actors who are very popular, um, and the, the, we've got a new cast coming in, and you know, kind of killing it right here in the first episode. So I, I figure I'll give them the A minus for that Good. for for making the successful transition. From the you know, the big thing is people watching this for the first time probably saying, Hey, what's let's see what MacGyver's gonna do as Kurt Russell's role, you know? Yeah, yeah. So all right, good. I mean that's what I was thinking, A minus as well. And you know, as we've said many times, I mean, on the one hand, we're we're gonna judge it right up there with you know, contemporary science fiction shows. On the other hand, we'll make allowances if we need to, and I think as we kind of established so far we don't really need to i mean every everything was uh yeah i think pretty spot on i mean you know yeah. visually you know i i don't know whether they 
filmed this on film or videotape or whatever they were doing in 97, obviously it looks a little different than what we see now. But on the other hand, you know, how many times do you watch a show, not even always science fiction, but very often science fiction is like, dude's standing against a green screen. That's pretty damn obvious. Yeah. And uh-huh. sometimes it doesn't detract. Sometimes it, it kind of does for me. Clearly, they're not using green screens at, at this point with. No, but they're, they're definitely, you know, the, the, when they, they have the made sets that are supposed to look like stone and things like that. And you know, it's right. styrofoam. You can tell a little bit, you know, things like that. But again, it's something that is easily looked past right. I think. and you know we'll see how all that develops by the time we you know get to you know like season seven and eight we'll see if the production values are picking up and you know well it'll probably be what around 2023 2024 or so uh, yeah something right, just kidding like guys um <laughs> yeah because dude we'll be uh we'll be halfway through uh season one of hemlock grove at that point <laughs> okay all right well let's go ahead and leave it there yeah, looking forward. Fortunately, we don't have any more of these split episodes that we're going to have to deal with. At least I don't think we are. But anyway, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Stargate SG-1. Anything else going on in genre TV? Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Shoot us an email, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to discuss episode two of Stargate SG-1, Children of the Gods, part two. But until then. You know, Dave, I think you need to be like the upbeat, kind of optimistic person around here and let me be the cynic around here, huh? <laughs> <laughs>